Today is Memorial Day. It is a day when we remember those who have paid the ultimate price, those who have laid down their lives for the freedom and defense of our country. Even as we remember and celebrate those who would serve in that way, we remember another who has given the ultimate price that we might be free. Uh, We come in worship of the Lord. As we come this morning to his word about what it means to strive in following and uh, serving the Lord Jesus, the, the, the text we're in this morning is, is a, it's a warning on one respect. It's, it's instruction uh, calling us into a certain kind of life, and hopefully before we're done, it's, in, it's encouragement. Uh, and it is, it is hope as it pulls us forward and pulls us in the high calling of what Jesus calls us into as we think about striving for gold, taking serious our walk with Christ, taking serious the Christian life, and uh, fixing our eyes on Jesus and running, running the race that is set before us. We're in First Corinthians chapter nine, verses twenty-four to twenty-seven. Hear the word of God. Do you not know? That in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. You know, every athlete exercises self-control in all things, and they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, and I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body, and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Pray with me. Oh, Father, we come to your word this morning, and we long to hear you speak. We long for you to talk to us about us and about Jesus about what you have done and what you are doing in our lives, what it is you desire and the plans and purposes you have for us. Come, Lord Jesus, and speak to us about what it means to follow you. Capture our imaginations afresh, inspire us anew, and bring us to that place of consecration that we might run hard in the way of your kingdom. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Paul's point here is, is he uses this metaphor in the Christian life. His point is, is here is tr- that, that the truly Christian life requires a certain amount of commitment and discipline and sacrifice. Right? That's what he is saying as he makes and pulls this metaphor alongside and makes the comparison and calls us to do what he does in this passage. He is saying that, that a truly Christian life, one that is not disqualified in the end, a truly Christian life requires a certain level of, of commitment and discipline, of self-control and of sacrifice. I was reading one book on discipline Uh, And the author says early in the book, he says, discipline is what moderns need the most and what they want the least. And it is often that we do live in that age. I was looking at another book on discipline, and he talks about the fact that superficiality is the curse of our age. And he says that superficiality is the symptom of an undisciplined, unself-controlled life. 
And Paul's concern here is he compares the Christian life to a race. You know, we've all heard that metaphor before. I mean, and some say that that's not new, that the Christian life is a race. I just quoted, um, you know, Hebrews chapter 12, that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, as we run the race that is set before us and laying aside every sin and weight that would entangle us because the way we want to run after Jesus. And so he compares the Christian life again in another place, in another way, with this race. And he says that without a certain kind of a life, a certain kind of a, of a devotion to it, he says that we can be disqualified from it. You know, I ran track as a freshman in high school, little known fact. I ran track for one year as a freshman. They put me out. I was a sprinter. Anything that you had to run fast over a short distance, that was me. I ran the 440. In those days, it was the 440. I think it's the 400 now. But we ran the 440. I did the mile relay. I was one leg, you know, so you run a quarter mile as fast as you can with a baton and you hand it off. So I ran the, I ran the quarter mile. I ran, then I did hurdles. I did the, the mile relay with hurdles. So you do that same quarter mile with 10 low hurdles in it. I did the high hurdles, 110 yards, 10 hurdles, fast as you can do it. And I loved it. I, I actually showed some promise. I was a freshman and, you know, joined the team, ran for a year, showed some promise, won some medals. But here's the thing, as a freshman in high school, they practiced every single day. And then meets were often on Saturdays. I didn't like that. I actually had a conversation, I look back, it's one of those things you're embarrassed about. I actually had a conversation with the coach at that time, like, is there like a halfway we can do this? Can I, can I come to like two or three practices a week and just be in meets like every other week? You know, can I, you know, I was negotiating with him about the requirements and he said, if you don't come to practice every day, like the rest of the team, you're disqualified from running. There'll be no running for you. And I quit. <laughs> to my shame. I wish I did run it. I wish, I wish I had the perspective then that I have now. That's what a lot of us do, don't you? Most of you wish that you have all the wisdom and that you've gathered now with the youth you had then. Wouldn't that be awesome? The coach said there was a certain amount of commitment and discipline and sacrifice that was necessary to run, or I would be disqualified and not a part of their team. In verse 27, Paul uses himself as an example, and he says, he says, but I... I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after having preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, I can't imagine Paul being disqualified. I don't think he thinks he's in any risk of being disqualified. And he's not even telling them that they might lose the race. He's not saying you need to do this or you'll lose the race. He's saying if you don't do this, you don't even qualify to run. Right? And so Paul is saying a certain kind of life marks runners, people who are in the race, people who are in the game, people who are on the team, people who are, you know, and he says to, to, to not live in, in, in a sense in the way that he calls us is to not make the team. He says you might find that you were never in the race disqualified. And so the passage in that respect serves as a warning to look at the kind of race that we are running, to look at the kind of race that we are living. And this is the kind of thing Jesus does again and again in so many ways. In the New Testament, the scripture does again and again. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. Look at the kind of race you're running. 
or you'll be disqualified in the end, right? And so he says there, there's lots of these things that call us to examine ourselves, to, to see that we're in the race. Spurgeon says it this way, this is in your bulletin. He says, we are continually insisting that salvation is not of works, but of grace. We just sang it in so many ways. It is the foundation of the Christian life, the gospel upon which we live and feed day by day. He says, but we find that it's equally necessary to preach the absolute necessity of a religious life for the attainment of heaven at the last. Although we are sure that men are not saved for the sake of their works, it's by grace alone, through faith alone that men are saved. We are absolutely certain that men are not saved for the sake of their works, yet we are equally certain, sure, that no man will be saved without them. Right, so what is Spurgeon saying? What is Paul saying? Right, in Paul's metaphor, Spurgeon is saying this, we're saved by grace alone and not by our running. And we always have to have that firmly fixed in our heads as we sing and celebrate what Jesus has done for us. We are saved by grace alone and not by our running. But grace makes us runners. Grace makes us runners. Grace enables us to run. Grace puts us in the race, right? It doesn't, you know, it's not our running, that's, you know, it's the order of things. You know, I don't run that I can get in the race and be saved and be accepted. No, you know, we're saved by grace alone, but it puts us in a race. Once, once we are there, we are, we are, as he says, we become runners, followers after Jesus. It empowers us, right? Grace doesn't exempt us from running. It enables us to run. It empowers us to live just such a life that Jesus calls us to, that the Scripture speaks of and describes serious and disciplined Christian life. And the Bible says an absence of a, a pursuit of a life of holiness and obedience and following hard after Jesus and his kingdom may be a symptom of the absence of saving grace. Failure to bring our lives under the lordship of Christ Strive after those things which are the heartbeat of the Scripture, the heartbeat of God. Be holy because I am holy. And holiness is not just moral, it is that, but it's more than that. A life, a life set apart for Him. And, and so that's what Paul unpacks here, is a life set apart for Him. Paul's main concern is very clear. We are to run in the way of Jesus. We are to run in such a way as that we are gold medalists, that we would win, that we're striving for gold in the Christian life. You know, in verse 24 he says, do you not know, right? You know, in a race all the runners run, but only one of them is going to receive a prize. So run like that guy. Runs in such a way that you will obtain it. He says, you know about races, right? You know about runners. You know about athletes. You know about competitive games. Why? Because there were two major Greek games that were, and most of us are familiar with the Olympics, and now most of us can identify with this, even if you didn't run track in high school, because you've seen the Olympics, now they're televised. And so we know about athletes, and we know about runners, and we know about competitive games. But they, there were two major Greek games, not only the Olympics, but there was an, the Ithmian games, I-S-T-H-E. 
M-I-A-N, Isthmian Games. Every two years, they were held in the neighborhood of Corinth. And they were very similar, you know, with five different events, including running and boxing and wrestling and javelins and discus and, you know, that kind of thing, held in the neighborhood of Corinth and sponsored by them. And so he says to them, like, you know, athletes, you've seen them. You've been to the games. You may know some of those athletes personally and be familiar with their their lifestyle. And the games were such that if you wanted to run in the Isthmian games, um, You had to train, and there was, there was actually a requirement that you had to train. If, you were, if the games were in November, you had to train a certain amount of training from January through October to be eligible, not disqualified, for the games. Right? So there's a certain amount of training that was required. And so he says, you know about athletes, you've seen them, maybe you're one yourself. And Paul draws this clear parallel between the Christian life and gold medal athletes, right? Isn't that what verse 24 says? You know about running in races and athletes. You know they all run and you get 20 of them out there, the gun goes off and they all run, but only one of them wins. And Paul immediately says, you run like that, right? So run that you may obtain the prize. Run like the guy who gets the prize. Run like the one that is at the head of the pack. Run like the guy who gets the gold. You've seen the guy who wins. Run like him. You know, we live in an unbelieving world where people are willing to train, to deny themselves, to sacrifice, to discipline, to exercise self-control over the structure of their whole lives. To, To do what? Look how they will train for a moment of glory, Paul says. Right? Isn't that what he says? He says, when only one receives a prize, run like that guy. He says, every athlete exercises self-control, all these things. And they do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable. Right? He says, they, they do it. But he also says, we do it. And you notice that how he says that. He says, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, right? So they, those in the world, the unbelieving world, they do it to get a perishable wreath. We? We what? We do it too. We exercise self-control in all things, but not for a perishable wreath, but for an imperishable wreath. We do it not for a moment of glory, but for an eternal weight of glory. Right there in your bulletin, 2 Timothy 4.8, Paul says, Elsewhere there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, a crown that waits for me at the end, a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only me, but to all who have loved his appearing. And what does it mean to love his appearing? It means to run toward it. It means to run toward everything that has to do with it. That means we love His and seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. It means that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It means that God is our treasure, our goal, our hope, our purpose, our end. He is the one for whom we live and strive. And we know there's going to come a day when I will stand before the Lord who is the righteous judge and I live for that day. 
I live for that day. First Peter 5, he says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading, right? And that's what he's saying in this one. There's a perishable wreath. They run after this pine branch leaf thing that they get in this moment of glory and popularity. He says, but you, when he appears, will receive an unfading crown of glory. There is a day coming when we will stand at the finish line. You're running a race. You're in a race. Do you know you're in a race? Right? You're, you're in a race. A day is coming. You will cross the finish line. Live for that day. Live for the day when you will stand before the Lord, the righteous judge. Paul says to Jesus' church, we should all be running like gold medalists. Right? We should all be running like that guy. We should all be hungry for the prize like that guy. Proverbs 6, it's there in your bulletin. When I was reading this and thinking about it, it made me think of the proverb where Solomon, the teacher, says, and I just pulled two of the verses, you can go to the text, but he says, go to the ant, O sluggard, and consider her ways and be wise. Right? Go learn from the ant. Right? The ant has things to teach you about how to live your life. Right? Go to the ant, you sluggard, and study his ways. And then, and then what? How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep and get about the master's business? Study the ant and learn. Get up, get to work. Go to, and Paul's saying, go to the athlete. See the gold medalist? See his life? See his discipline? See his self-control? See, see the way he has honed his life into an instrument that runs well and strong Effectively, successfully, see, go to the athlete, look and learn. How long, how long will you lie there? Study his ways and be wise. Arise and run. See, his concern is self-control. Right, as he drives back, even as he says all this in the section where he says, you know, so, you know, the first verse, he says, you know, you know about runners, so you know about the one who wins, you know about the winner, so run like the winner. And what's the very next thing he says? Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Run like the winner. Every athlete, if he's going to be that winner, you know, you may, you may exercise self-control and discipline and not be the winner, but he can tell you this right now, you won't be the winner if you don't. Right, and he says, you know, run like that guy. Every athlete, how does he run? He doesn't run for those 30 seconds on the track. His whole life is shaped so that on those 30 seconds, when it counts, he is a lean, mean machine. Right? That he runs well. And so Paul says, you know, that the one that runs to win, run like that winning guy, exercise self-control. That's what Paul is saying. Exercise self-control in all things. Like a gold medalist. Right? Because you belong to the king. There's a sense in which you are a winner. And you will receive that crown on that day. Run. Brothers and sisters, who you are. Like, run like that guy. Because that's who you are. You are in Christ. And Christ is a gold medalist. And we, we follow him. And we, and we follow him by the strength that he gives us. By the power of his own spirit. Self-control. Winning athletes have mastered themselves. 
They have control over their lives in every part of it, and they have made it purposeful. Right? And if you look at an athlete, I'm always, if you watch the Olympics, they often do these little uh, biopics of athletes. You know, I don't know if they're filling time or what, but they, you get these little biopics, and you look at some of these folks and the lives that they've lived and how it is they've come to be an Olympic athlete. And the, and the focus that it takes, the discipline that it takes, the self-control that it takes in terms of what they eat, They have trainers and people, this is what you will eat. This is when you will go to bed. And this is when you will get up. And when you get up, this is what you will eat. And after you have eaten it, you will be at the track. And when you're there, this is what we're going to do for the next eight hours. And these are the things that you're going to do. And then you know what? You're going to go to bed at this time. And you're going to be back here tomorrow at this time. And you do this day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year. Where the entire life is brought down as a life of structured purpose. I am creating a lean, mean machine so that I can run well. And life is is brought under control. Time is scheduled, all with one goal in mind, training to win, striving for gold, for success, for glory. And Paul offers himself as an example of all this. In essence, as he says elsewhere, follow me as I follow Christ. And I'm following Jesus. Follow me as I follow Christ. And he offers himself. In verse 26, he says, so I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as someone who is beating the air. That's not the way I live my life, you know, to run aimlessly. You know, I don't run uncertainly or, uh, you know, without a goal in mind, without a a finish line, with a clear goal. I mean, what an absurd picture of it is. If you turn on the Olympics and you see these athletes who have trained and they all line up on the runner's block, you know, they get their feet up on the block and they get down and they're ready and the gun goes off. And one of them pops up, looks distracted by the popcorn in the stand and walks over to get some. One of the other ones starts running and he sees somebody pole vaulting in the middle and he turns aside and runs in there and watches. And somebody else turns and goes the other way. Or <clears throat> To run aimlessly. Like, what are we doing here? You guys are running a race and the end of it is over there. Finish line is at that end. I mean, there's an, it's an absurd picture that anyone who is an athlete who is running in a race would run aimlessly. But how many of us, when the gun has already sounded, are wandering aimlessly, without clear direction, without a finish line before us, governing everything that we do? Verse 23, Paul says, we haven't read this one, he says, I do it all. He's talking about his life of of living for Christ and the gospel. That his ministry, his calling is to share the gospel with the Gentile world and the plant churches. And he's saying, as he has embraced his calling and says, I do all things. I do it all for the sake. And that word could be translated all things. It could be, it's the same that's up in in verse 25. He exercises self-control in all things. And he says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in their blessings. I live for Jesus Christ. And then he shifts it to boxing. He's talking about athletes then in general. Let's throw in the boxer. 
You know, can you imagine a boxer who's out there and he just keeps whiffing and he just keeps, you know, and you're like, come on, man. <laughs> you know, that's what all those hours of training are for. You guys are supposed to fight. He says he's throwing punches. He said, I don't throw punches and, and just catch it. I don't whiff. I don't just keep whiffing, you know, and swinging and missing. He says, I want, I want my punches to land. I want, I want, I want to connect. And he, in verse 27, that metaphor carries over. We don't always see it, but you need to see that when he says, I'm not running aimlessly and I don't box as one beating the air, but rather I discipline my body. That word discipline right there is actually a word that literally means to beat or to pummel. And it literally can mean severely to, to make black and blue. You know, to beat somebody or something till they're black and blue. And he says, so when he says, I discipline my body, that is a, an, a, an English translation of a word that says, I pummel my body or I beat. I think the KJV actually says, I beat my body and I make it my slave. And, he, and, and the ESV says, I discipline my body and I keep it under control. But the image there is that he's turned this whole, he's gone from running in the race toward the goal to being a boxer. And this time, though, his opponent is his own self. I don't, I, don't, I don't throw punches that swing and miss. I land my blows. In fact, I pummel my body, and I keep it under control. I make it my slave. I subjugate it. Now, we need to understand, if you take this too, too literally, too physically, and there, are, there have been some silly applications of that through, through the years, that Paul is not talking about asceticism and attacking his body per se. He's talking about his whole life. He's saying, he says, I, in, in that sense, I, I, I work on my life and I discipline it severely. You have to go back up. How do we know? Because the goal is twofold. One, it is that he exercises self-control in all things. And ultimately, coming out of this, he says, I beat my body in such a way that I keep it under control, that I'm self-controlled. The goal here is self-control, is discipline, is a life of a well-ordered life that is following Jesus purposefully, purposefully deliberately, powerfully. Keep it under control. Self-mastery, a well-ordered life that is harnessed and so purposeful as it strives toward the goal. You know, we're not talking about physical fitness this morning, though there's a lesson there. We're talking about spiritual lives. We're talking about what it means to follow Jesus. As the scripture lays it before us in metaphor after metaphor and calling after calling as Jesus says, take up your cross and deny yourself and follow me. And it's like a man who found out, uh, you know, in a field and he sells everything he has to obtain Christ. Or it's like that runner who when he enters the race, he runs for gold. You know, they, they, he just stacks them and he stacks them. What does it mean to surrender your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord? And your Savior, God is saying, go to the ant. Go to the athlete. Look and learn. Learn how to strive for gold. Paul talks about it in his own testimony in Philippians chapter 3. He gives some of his testimony. And he talks about how he, uh, chapter 2 and then chapter 3, and he talks about how he had trusted in all the wrong things. He had a great pedigree. He had a great resume. And he trusted in all these things to make him worthy before God. And he, is, he has found Christ, or Christ has found him, knocked him off his donkey, blinded him, and, and showed him the light in terms of who, he, who 
Jesus is who God is and what Christ has done for him. And he says, now I count everything as a loss. I count it, you know, I count it as rubbish, as trash, as as nasty. I hate it. He says, I count it all as loss for the sake of gaining Christ and being found in him. And then he goes on from there and he says this. It's in your bulletin, in Philippians 3. He says, one thing I do is I forget what lies behind and I strain toward what lies ahead. Right? He's a runner. Isn't he a runner? One thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I'm straining forward toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal, toward the prize. The upward call of God in Christ. Let those who are mature think this way. Think like this. Priorities. Let me just say three things coming out of of Paul's description of his own running. Uh, I want to bring out three or four things. I want to bring out his priorities, his focus, his effort. But in the end, I want to touch upon his grace. His grace, which is Christ's grace. Priorities, you know, Paul says there's one thing I do, right? One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I strain toward what lies ahead. One thing I do. Whatever else I do, and I think this is what he means as he says this, I I run after God, right? The upward call of God in Jesus Christ, this is, this is the one, my one thing. And what he means by his, this is my one thing, I don't know if you Rich Mullins has his song, uh, you're my one thing. <clears throat> it's a good song. Um, so he, you're my one thing. And what he means by that is whatever else I do, and I've, I've got children to feed and to raise, and I've got work to do, and I've got a spouse to love and to serve, and I've got, you know, I, I live life. He says, but whatever else I do, one thing, one thing I will not go to the grave without doing is run hard after Jesus. Right, one thing that I do is I strain after the call of God in Christ. I strain after it. I run after it. I lean into it. It's my most important thing. It's my primary thing. It's the clear direction of my life. So let me ask you, whatever else you do, is this your one thing? Does this one thing Dominate your landscape. Pull your life together purposefully. Is growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ your one thing? The thing you live for? It's a world full of good activities. Dance, music, sport, education, games. You know, the list goes on of stuff I just think about because our lives are so busy. The stuff that fills my life and tends to crowd out, right? The, the busy stuff, the, the, you know, the, the, the things that crowd out the important stuff, the crucial stuff, the Jesus stuff. You know, if you were to list your priorities, if I were to ask you this morning to list your priorities and you did that, I mean, most of us would have the same list. You know, Christian, Christian, give me your top three. Jesus, you know, God, you know, the church. I'm like, all right, let's wrap all those into one. <laughs> let's call that one, your spiritual life. Following Jesus, loving God, and, you know, part in your church. Then what? All right, family, work, okay. 
Now sit down and take a hard look at your life and your family's life and all the stuff that you're doing and just ask the question, do, do my lived priorities, the way that we're actually structuring and ordering our lives, the things that we're pouring ourselves into and the things that we're doing, does it actually match my professed priorities? Christ, God, loving God in his church, you know, his kingdom. Do, do, does my life match what I say my priorities are. Priorities. One thing I do, Paul says, this race is what it's all about for me. But he also has focus then. He says, he says, one thing I do is forgetting what is behind. I'm straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call. Like Paul has focus. Focus on the goal. What lies, you know, he uses the phrases, what lies ahead? The goal, the prize, the upward call. Like he has this, this focus. One thing I do are, are these things are what govern, like laser vision down the line. I cannot live for priorities that are not clear in my mind. What are my priorities so that I can order my life according to them, actually, and so Paul has these priorities, the, the goals that the Scripture defines for him, Christ and what it means to follow him, govern his thinking. We cannot live for priorities if we're not clear what they are. And so we have to ask ourselves, what day by day and when I have time and when I have money and when I have you know, margin, when I have whatever it is that I have, what am I running after? What am I running after? Am I I running hard after Jesus and his kingdom first? Or is there something else that has caught my imagination, my heart? McLaren says, this is Alexander, 19th century pastor, says, I believe that there are a few things more lacking in the average Christian of today, 19th century, than resolute conscious concentration upon an aim which is clearly and always before us. He says, do you know what you're aiming at? Do you know what you're about? Do you know your master's business and are you about it? That is the first question. Are we running, in other words, in Paul's language again, are we running aimlessly? Or do we live purposefully? The gun is sounded. The runners have all left their blocks. What are you doing? Where are you on the track? Priorities, focus, effort. Paul says that he strains forward and he presses on. He says that I beat my body and I make it my slave so that I can run well. Right? I exercise self-control. I exert myself in spiritual things. I put forth effort. Strong effort. In fact, I put forth more significant effort in the things that concern my following of Jesus than I would or should anywhere else. In fact, I want to give him my tithe, my first ten, my best ten, my best hours, my best efforts. You know, whatever effort I put into my job and advancing and making money and, and, and all of those things, I want to give at least, at least a certain amount of effort into what it means to follow Christ. He says, I press forward, I strain forward, I press on. And you can get a picture of a runner, and he says, you know, I strain forward, I press on, and a runner, his eyes are fixed on the goal. If you watch a runner, they're, they're trained not to look at the guy next to him or not to look back and see. If you do that, A, you're going to stumble, you're not going to, 
They're laser focused. They got one thing for those 20 seconds. All they do is fix your eyes on Jesus. The goal, the end, and run toward it with a passion that is stunning. With an exertion that is uh, impressive. They lean into it. Their eyes are fixed. Their, their minds are fixed. Their bodies are, are straining forward not wandering aimlessly, to structure our lives in such a way to maximize our game. So our, we come down to this, all of this uh, effort, you know, effort in striving against sin, effort in, in pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ. These are the things that he says, you know, be holy as I am holy and, uh, and, and draw near to me. You know, like, know me, love me. Apart from me, you can't do anything. And so there are these, these things to strive against sin and to press in toward Christ. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Press into me, know me, love me, trust me. Let me just touch as we just close and say, you know, it's hard to preach a sermon like this. And one of the things that we, is even in our goals, is, to, uh, is really to paint a picture of grace. That everything that we do is laid on a foundation of freedom in Jesus Christ. I don't want to be driven and whipped from behind. You know, I don't want to be beat over the head. I don't want to be, you know, somebody put it around me and drag me along. You know, and how is it that we can hear Paul? How is it that we can hear these things and, and not beat ourselves up and, then, and, and not fall into legalism? You know, not fall into, okay, I've got to do this and this and this or else I'm a bad Christian and I'm law. Let me just throw a couple of things out there real quick as we close the you capture. And one of them is this. Paul says, one of the things I do is I forget what is behind. I'm not looking back there. So whatever it is that you've done before, one of the things when I do this, I'm writing this sermon, I'm sharing with my wife some of my own applications, and I'm thinking about this in my own life. And, you know, there could be a lot of guilt here really, really easy. You know, and I'm looking at my life thinking, I have wasted so much time. I, I, have, I have not given myself the way I should. And I can easily start to wallow, which is why Paul says, one thing I do, first, forget what's behind. Like that's, that's where you've got to start. First thing you've got to do is forget what's behind you, right? The blood of Jesus deals with that. Forget what is behind. Jesus isn't here to beat you up this morning, right? Jesus is here to fill you with his spirit and to recapture your imagination, and to lay before you and awaken within you a desire. One of the things that I was preparing this, and Paul's talking about every athlete exercises self-control. I'm like, yes, I need self-control. And then as I'm preparing for this, it strikes me. The fruit of the Spirit. Self-control. At the end of that list, right? Self-control is the fruit of God's Spirit. And that's what I need in my life. I need God to bear the fruit of his spirit. I need him to awaken me. I need him to fill me with his spirit. I need him to set me free from what is behind and any guilt that might seek to keep me from pressing forward. Because the goal this morning, Jesus is constantly saying, my child, you know, every new moment you can begin again. Because every moment you can forget what is behind and press ahead because of the grace that is ours in Jesus Christ. And so he calls us this morning. He wants, he wants to capture our hearts, to put us into the race by grace. 
We don't run to get in the race. We don't run to, to win his pleasure. We don't run for his acceptance. It is his grace that enables us to run. And every day I find myself running toward the goal and I find myself flat on my face. And I stand up and I look around and the grace of God is the grace to fail, to brush ourselves off, to repent, to confess our sin, to trust in Jesus and start running again. And start running again. And start running again. Day after day, we will stumble. (laughs) It is the grace of God that we are what we are that we will be what we will be. Self-control is a fruit of His Spirit. All of our running flows from His grace. But my hope and my prayer and my desire this morning is that He would not let us, like the sluggard as He says, go to the ant, O sluggard, how long will you lie there? Arise and run. His grace calls you to run. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for the grace that sets us free. We thank you for the fruit of your spirit and your spirit who comes to live within us. We thank you that you have already won the race. and That there is a crown waiting, not because of my running, but because of yours. Father, we pray that your victory would set us free to run with all of our hearts. To love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That you would help us and enable us more and more to bring our lives into conformity with the priorities of your gospel. That we would run hard after you. That our souls would pant for you, O oh God. For the living water and that we would run, run in your direction. These things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.